Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. We have begun a new calendar and another 25,000-year cycle as we journey into a new realm of reality through the windows in your mind. We now begin with the knowledge of humanity and its divine origins from intergalactic conversations from the past and present. Let us look through a window into the ever-evolving consciousness and explore new possibilities with our place in the cosmos and the quantum world. Grandmother Parisha of Cherokee Heritage reveals the wisdom of the ancient past that will lead us into a peaceful future. Experience the love and peace through the exceptional wisdom of Grandmother Parishat as she shares science and ancient knowledge merged together to benefit all of humanity. This is Windows in Your Mind, and this is Parisha, your host. We are in a fantastic time in the season, and just lots of wonderful and exciting things are happening. We have children laughing and looking at all the yummy, yummy things that are coming with Christmas and with all of the holidays. So it is a happy time. Yet today we're going to discuss the fact that there are many people who are having sadness and depression during this time, and that many of my uh, therapists, friends, and my the psychiatrists and psychologists are saying that it is not the best of season for a lot of our community and uh, mankind. So we're going to discuss a little bit of that, but along with that, we're also going to talk about some of the wonderful things that are happening. I think it's fantastic that at, at whatever the particular energies are, and see, you know how I deal with energy. Everything's energy, right? And everything moves with an intelligence and principle of what that energy is. So basically then, you know, we have to look at the fact that like for special days, especially uh, religious special days, that it brings the best out in people and we start looking to actually be of greater assistance to those maybe in greater need than ourselves. And so then we righteously you know, give generously to getting dinners and getting things to people that have another 362 days out of the year to deal with. And so, you know, we, we have to remember those of us who are serious enough to listen to programs like this and to be involved in what you call spirituality or service, your, your, your role in service to whatever the sacred name is that you serve. You know, and to realize that we're then just putting band-aids on it again, right? We, you know, it's just like with so many things that we're doing, we just look for some kind of immediate fix and we just do that. And then for the rest of the year, we feel that we have fulfilled our situation. 
yet there's still people need to be fed, there's people need to be housed, there's so much medical care, you know. It's 365 days, not, you know, 362. So basically then we need to start looking for the, the longer-reaching solutions, you know, how, you know, addressing some of the situations that we can. We're all very critical that our, our political leaders aren't looking at the real issues or doing enough or whatever. But then, you know, the real question isn't what are they doing, it's what are you doing? What am I doing? And then how much are you really making yourself possibility of actually influencing and helping that change? Because, see, here's what I say, and I know you're probably really just drenched with me saying that, but you matter, you count, you have effect, okay? You have purpose. Your fingerprint says you're a one of a kind, and nobody else can do the role for you, and that you make a great difference. You're important, you know, and so you have a part, and you need to start realizing that. You know, I, I find it so strange that people can't relate to being of divine order and yet can't explain in any manner of way how they became whatever and whoever and who they are. You know, they, they just don't think about it. Well, think about it. Think about it, you know, and understand that you coming to acknowledging it, and you coming to being aware of it, and you coming to live it, you know, most important to love it is that you live it. You live, you laugh, you love, you celebrate. And in our last session, we talked about, you know, celebrate all of life. Life is an occasion. Every day is a special occasion. Make it so. You know, and so through your carrying on of your procedures, which are really rituals, okay, if you're afraid of the word, your procedures, your practices are rituals. You brush your teeth every day, that's a ritual. Call me air every day, sometimes more than once a day, that's a ritual, okay? So they are happening all the time, and you need to have awareness of them and allow them to actually become purposeful and that you give the intention of what the purpose is. You command it so. That's you. That's, that's your preciousness. So basically in, in what we're looking for then, and especially, in, and I'm seeing a tremendous huge number of people have turned that corner since last year. You know, it's, it's seasonally uh, a connection for me to come back to many groups, organizations, and, and people who are doing things each year at these times and days. And believe me, each time I've come to them, each season that brings them into my work and my service, I say to them, is there a way you can be involved throughout the year? Can this become a, a daily, a weekly, or a monthly situation for you? You know, Are you even willing to maybe do one each month? And so, you know, if everybody just jumped on board, if a, a bunch of people over here did this and a bunch of people over there... And, Finally, we have like 30 bunches that are doing 30 days. And everybody just averages out once a month. Then we've covered it, right? But if we don't think about it, if we don't look at what, what, what it needs, we can't assist. You know, sometimes when uh, I, and, and I had to be introduced to this by some very, very definitely powerfully giving people, 
when they said to me, Grandmother, I don't like to use the term that I'm helping somebody. If they need help, it means that they're weak. If they need help, it means that somehow or another they're not capable. I like them to know I'm assisting them. I'm assisting them in what they are capable of and that they just need a few numbers, a few more numbers of. And I started looking at that. So I started watching it and how, you know, its reflection and its activity. And I totally support it now. To assist means to join them in, in, in giving stronger strength to something, but not that they're helpless, not that they can't. And so I began to see that. So I applied that in what I did to actually approach people and say, can we assist on more days? You know, and, and then I realized that I started getting more cooperation. I, I, you know, and I had been asking people for however long and however many years to help. Can you help? And they would just take these long faces and deep sighs and say, well, I already do this. I already do that. You know, and it's like, okay. But then again, there's 300, you know, 40 more days. So basically just, just approaching people and saying, hey, how, How's the probabilities of your assisting a little bit more? Sure. What do you need? <laughs> it was an overnight. It was a, a no-brainer, right? And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, I've been laboring. No, not necessary. You know, just let people know that they're assisting. And, they, and, and not only those that you're asking for assistance, you know, is happy about it, you know, but those who are receiving it feel honored because, we're not saying that they're incapable and, or that, you know, we're not making them weak or worse or anything. So, you know, I see that when we say we're helping somebody, we're taking away a certain part of whatever their probabilities are. So I've turned to assisting. Let's assist them. Let me join in. You know, another pair of hands will, will make it bigger. That's, you know, it's, and that's the mindset and it works very, very well. But anyway, the point is, is that going back to some of these organizations, groups, and, and just little churches, little, you know, uh, I'm finding that even neighborhoods, you know, like maybe three, four women on a street get together because they know that there's either elderly or someone, you know, who has some kind of physical uh, disability. Maybe somebody just got a divorce Maybe there's a working mother with, you know, three, four kids that has a hard time managing or something. That they become aware of the families that are that are involved on their street. They have little street parties. They they shared with me they started, you know, for various reasons, once a, once a month, either on the full moon, the new moon, or the quarter moon or something. You know, they block the street off. They get the officials to understand they're going to be blocking the street. They're not going to forbid traffic. They're just going to limit the traffic so that, you know, people don't go buzzing through that area. So residents can come and go, but they're aware that there's people who have tables on the sidewalk. You know, some people set up little areas. They said if we're, they bring the picnic tables up front where you could sit down and have a cup of tea, a glass eye, you know, a lemonade or something but that they make all of this possible for these people. And therefore, it encourages people to sit down, talk, and meet, and get more to know each other. And then they said it was easier than to actually know every day who needed, who needed the assistance, who, who needed the extra set of hands, you know? 
And so they become, I mean, they, you know, they were immediate when I finally we got together to start organizing. Hey, let me explain to you what we're doing, you know. And then I just looked at that and thought, this is so wonderful. You know, they, they become creative. And, and a lot of them are doing like little original things. Like on the one street, uh, they, they have like three or four women who like to quilt. Okay. And yes, sometimes the, they make their quilts and they sell them. But they started realizing they could auction off a quilt and get a certain amount of money that maybe out of that money they paid for their materials and that they used the rest of the money to either add some kind of extra thing that their company, you know, maybe their street needed, you know, the different situations. Maybe there was an area, uh, uh, the one lady said there was an area on their street that was always ugly, you know, that it was obvious that the, the plants were not healthy and it just made an eyesore for the whole street. And they took their bit of money and they got people who know about those things, landscapers or whoever, and they made a very beautiful area that was just sort of like a, a memorial to the street itself. And then they found that when they did that, cleaned it all up and put some beautiful stuff there, that people started coming from the street and was adding things to it, you know, that in the summer and the spring, you know, there would be somebody that would go get a, a bed of certain plants and put them all around there so that there was these spring flowers. And then when those seemed to wear out and go away, there would be, you know, and that, that they, you know, there was nobody really signing on for it. Everybody was just kind of picking it up and doing it. And that they had this beautiful place then. And that, you know, they were very happy with that. They realized that the one group had shared that whatever it was, I think they said that there was like about 23 houses on their street. And they said they realized that pretty much after about three, four months of working the street parties, you know, that there was this one particular house that always seemed closed, you know, when the event was going on, that either there was nobody home or whoever was home was making sure to look like there was nobody home. And then they realized, okay, you know, and asking around, do you know that family? You know, in, in talking to everybody, they realized that pretty much out of everybody participating in the street and block party, nobody actually knew who lived there. They knew that there were a man and a woman and seemed to be a teenager that come and gone, and they had seen them, they recognized them by sight, and that they seemed friendly because at a distance they would wave or something. But nobody had ever talked to them, you know. And it was just wonderful how they said that the, the more cheerful, upbeat, would meet anybody kind of person that was on the street. And I remember her name was Jill, had said, I'm going. I'm going to go make it my business to, to cook up something, bake up something, and take it over there and just simply straight out tell them exactly how I feel, that I am concerned that you might feel left out. I feel concerned that somehow or another... We have not made you feel welcome, and it's not a matter that you have to come sit with us or anything else. What it, what does matter is we want you to know you're important to us. You are our neighbor, and anything that happens on our street affects us all, and that we want you to know if ever you need assistance, we're right here. And uh, she said, she said, so when I went there, 
She said, I did that. She said, it was the wife that came to the door, and she said, the son came to the door and stood there while I made my little cheerful neighborhood presentation. And she said, I saw that there was tears in his eyes. She said, he looked to be about 16, 17 years old. And she said, and I asked him what his name was. She said, he'd introduced himself. And she said, I asked him, you know, you look sad or you look like I said something that's made you unhappy. That's not my intention. You know, how, if anything, could I change that and, and make it better? And he said, it isn't that you have to change anything. It's just so wonderful to know that you have seen us, that you have determined, you know, that, you, that you've come. And here what they learned is that the husband's mother was definitely bedridden in the family, and they had to take shifts and take turns to come in and, and get, you know, the things done that she needed and everything. And Jill said, I said to them, but you're not alone. You know, there's more than you on the street that has parents, you know, that have come of age that needs greater assistance and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's blankets, little, you know, a lot of us that who crochet make little good things to surround us. We're so glad to know that. And can we know her name and can we personalize, you know, any of the particular things we would like to make to gift her? And, and so she said they invited me in. She said their home was lovely. And she said, I got to meet the, the mother. She said she was, she was kind of in severe dementia. She said, so I don't expect she remembers anything. She says, but she was friendly enough, you know. And she said, uh, of course, she went off into some of her questions. She said, you know, the wife tried to apologize. She says, no, no, you know, it, it, there's no need for that. And she told them, we, the most important thing that we want you to know, your neighbors want you to know, is you're not alone. And they said they're so happy to hear that because they had moved from out of state because of the husband's job. Uh, they needed more money because of the mother's care. And that they just had kind of felt like they were sitting in the middle of nowhere and didn't know anybody. And she said then it was like they didn't swamp them because I said, and so what was the, what was the conclusion? And she said, we kind of took slow turns making our roundabout. You know, she said, we all... All of us that are pretty active in making the block parties and everything, have, we knew it's not going to work for us all kind of emerge over there now and over, overwhelm them. But she said we kind of took it slow. You know, every fourth or fifth day, somebody would go over with, you know, soup for everybody or something. She said, so those of us who like to cook did that. She said our crocheting, uh, you know, sisters started crocheting little throws to put over her lap and everything when she's sitting up. She said one of our embroidery uh, ladies actually embroidered, you know, like three or four beautiful little bibs to put around her that kind of looked like uh, the front of a blouse instead of, you know, a slobbering bib or something. She said it was just wonderful. And she said, and we noticed how, you know, the previous owner to that house had been very aware of landscape and was very active in the yard. And she said, and they had come to not be able to actually take the time with the landscape. And she said, one afternoon, I'm driving back from the store, and she said, I looked over there, and three of our men, three of our husbands and dads, actually had gone over, cleaned out all of the beds and everything, and was straightening everything up, and uh, that the man, she said, as I'm pulling through, the man of the house actually pulled up, and she said, so he stepped out of his car talking to those guys and everything, and she said, I seen, you know, our our husbands and, and uh, fathers, she said, they actually stood there and talked for about 15 minutes or so. And she said they all gave him a hug 
She said, just how natural is it that men meet men for the first time and hug? She said, I think that that shows the change in humanity that's going on, that we're all a part of and maybe we don't actually personalize it and see it. And I told her, Jill, I think you're totally right on that. And it was just such stories like that that I found this season when I went around to seeing about the people who want to do the once a year thing. No, every one of them had increased the, the yearly assistance in some number or another, maybe not doing the whole everyday thing, but they had definitely, definitely put a lot more numbers on the table. And see, that's us changing the total circle. That's not Band-Aids. That's everlasting. And that's what what we're called upon when we come into these emotional seasons to reach out and to touch and to find how we include others. You know, science has proved, especially Dr. Fred Allen Wolf's books on mind into matter, he deals very much with the outcome of separation. It's in the separation that has been taught and has actually been happening over the eons of our history that's now being resolved because here's the true nature of energy. It's all-inclusive. So every time we determine that something is different and put it away, we are being harmful. When we can look at the difference and sit in respect of it, we're inclusive. We don't have to say, I agree with that and I'm going to go do that. And uh, you know That is not what we're saying. It simply says, are you intelligent? Can you look at that and understand it? And if it's of your liking, beautiful, participate. If it's not of your liking, can you allow that those people have the right to and let it happen? So in this Christmas season, we can all make these changes. In this season of various holidays of all walks of life and faiths and beliefs, we can make that difference. And that difference is what I'm asking you to move toward and expand yourself to. It's all about all of us. It's never about just one of us. And there has never been a success of anyone's wealth or anyone's growth that was a single effort. It included many people. So we want to carry that into the holiday. We also want to consider the fact that at this part of the season, there are those who go through depressions and situations that actually deal with handling a whole lot of unhappiness around these particular occasions and I've learned in talking to several of my uh, friends who are therapists and psychologists that sometimes people even have to admit themselves into uh, various facilities and that over these holidays because they become very suicidal or so depressed that their families or husbands or children or whoever gets very worried about them so then basically we have to pay attention to you know then what brings that on? Whatever could be around such a celebration time to stir up a memory or a push a button that actually takes a person to a place in their past and in their hearts to where they cannot seem to handle it and go past it. So it's real important, you know, that during these days, and and, and I sometimes, you know, like tomorrow is, is the true, this is one of those years to where winter's, Soltish usually happens on December 21st. Well, this year it's on the 22nd because of the leap year thing. But, you you know, to actually know that winter in itself is a very seclusive time to where 
people don't go out so much because of the weather or whatever so people are inside more and then that gives them the sense you know sometimes people the sense of isolation or or separateness so you know it's up to all of us to pay attention to that and find ways to be again to work with inclusiveness to have little things you don't just have to have a big christmas party you know uh, if you're in my situation and says i'm getting ready to say this i have to make sure i'm not being a hypocrite it's like i like to have lots of time to watch movies with people and everything else and then what i go through is you know not being able to invite everybody all the time because of space or whatever i try to find you know how do i do this without making somebody feel excluded you know and so I, I love the practicality of my husband because he says, just tell him the house is not big enough. You know, so we kind of have to take turns with people. And it made so much sense. And that's exactly what I did. And it worked. You know, everybody said, we understand, you know. And so then I had to sing aloud in all of the particular various people that I know who likes to just come watch a movie, who likes to come play some cards, you know, who would like to come and do karaoke you know, who wants to just have popcorn, you know, who's the pizza people, who's who's the potluck people. And so there's just all of these occasions that can take place around those particular differences instead of making them, you know, separate to become inclusive with that. And so that helps a lot to, to reach out to those who may be borderline to some of that stuff, you know. Um, when I asked my therapist friends, so, it, you know, Explain to me, you know, is there a particular stereotype? Is there a particular, you know, group? You know, are, are these kind of, you know, what are these? And then, because I, I did a program some weeks back that I'm sure some of you might have listened to about the effects of the Santa Claus thing, you know, that children grow up and don't trust their parents anymore because they, they keep dealing with the fact that the parents had done such a good job at convincing them that Santa Claus when they found out they weren't and that it was all the parents is doing, no matter how justified we would want to make that as parents, you know, we were lying to the kids. That's what they see. That's what they grow up and that's what they take to heart. So there's, they told me there is a lot of that out there, but there's some other things, you know, there's people, some people lost a loved one. Uh, though my one friend told me, my one therapist friend told me that she has like about 19 cases of people, men and women, who have depression around the holidays because the person, like the person they fell in love with or their partner, chose the holidays to separate, you know, to go on or actually in the relationship or something. So they no longer even had a relationship. So every time a holiday comes around, they suffer that whole memory. And so I said to them, so what are you doing to help these people actually in that chain of results? And uh, they said, well, basically, at that time, we just try to give them, you know, the drugs and whatever medicines they can take to actually just kind of let them sleep through it all. And they said that after the holidays, like at sometime in February, they seem to come out of it anyway. So they're thinking these are some, you know, maybe some chemical imbalance. Something. They, have, they have a lot of sophisticated reasons for it. And I told them, you know... Maybe if you just try some of the stuff that we do in the spiritual community to help them take charge of something and actually take the charge off of the thing, they could begin to handle it themselves, you know. So it, 
of course, they took me up on it. It's like, okay, so when are you going to schedule a training? So I had to laugh. I thought I walked right into that one, you know. But anyway, I did. I said, okay, you know, I think that we could probably handle this in about three, four hours because you already have such a background to just give you a few tools. Could be three, four hours. And, and I'm willing to pull that out of my bag to make sure that if it's something you could use, you can, you know. So basically, that's what I've done. And, and it's just a matter that, you know, yes, the chemistry is a part of that. We, you know, those of you who are well-read, you realize that all of your emotions are just a, a chemistry that's reacting and playing its role through everything. And that you have all these hormones and stuff that you can now change with the way you think or the things that you do. And so one of the things that I told her is that in my culture, the biggest thing that we share that seems to bring that kind of healing all the time is the music, the drumming, you know, the dancing, the chanting. Uh, music plays a beautiful role in that. Some of them had already started to include music as some of the ways that they worked with these people, and then others had said, you know, music, like, you know, they'd never heard the word before or that it was a curse word, music, you know. And it's like, yeah, just, you know, bringing in some update music, getting them to get up and dance instead of sit there and wallow in the victimization that they're feeling, you know. Get them up, get them moving. Uh, some of them, like there was a very athletic uh, gentleman that was part of the circle, and he said that, because he's a cyclist, he rides a bicycle like for 26 miles and stuff, so he's very athletic, very healthy, very buff on just physical fitness. And he said that he found that the particular people that were attracted to him and he feels that he has his greatest results with are people that he actually gets involved in groups and uh, organizations that do a lot of physical things, even in the winter. You know, uh, one of the things that he said, if you're a good skier, make it, make it your duty this year to train one more person to ski, you know. And he said that it just began to help, they began to reach out and help others. And in helping others, they forgot about their own situation or to let go of the depression. So there's just so many things that we can do to help other people who are not maybe riding through this wonderful season with the happiness of an occasion. And so it's you finding time to make them visible, you know, with, with the thing of, I see you. People want to know that people are not just looking through them. And we've almost been taught to do that, haven't we? We've almost been taught to not engage by looking at people or smiling back at people. And it's, it's, it's you know, I, I have friends who've told me that they were taught that that's, that's disrespect, to look at people. And I, and, and I understand culturally there are people who feel that it's totally forbidden to have eye contact. You know, and, and I'm one of those people who have been told that it's politeness not to stare or not to just, you know, look into somebody. And I, I wish I could say I'm being successful with it because I love watching people. So I'm a people watcher and I sit around and look at people all the time. No matter where I'm at, I engage in entertaining myself by watching people. And when I do that and they look back at me, I smile and there is an engagement because they're looking at me, I look at them. Sometimes I get a weak little smile back, and then sometimes I see people just robust, you know, just be robustly engaging with me with a smiling. And then sometimes people talk to you after that. And then, like I said, when I see someone, you know, that definitely drops their eyes, and 
moves away from it uncomfortable, I don't pursue it. You know, I, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm about, you know. But then it's like, again, we come to where these people who are doing the depression thing, they don't believe people see them. Like all of my therapist friends said, these people don't feel visible. And I had to stop thinking about, what do you mean they don't feel visible? They don't believe anybody sees them, that anybody cares. I says, but isn't that a self-pity trip? You know, isn't that them playing up some victimization thing in their mind? And they said, of course it is. It's like, wait, so you give them a pill for that? You know, get them active in something. You know, make them feel visible to themselves, let alone anybody else. So that's what the whole training was about, you know. What are the ways that you can make people do that? Well, a lot of that is nothing other than talking to them. You know, when I, I learned that the homeless people don't want us fixing them, and they don't want to be rescued, and they're not looking for a job. They don't want a job, okay? And so you have to get to where you have your own mind take on that and do what you want to do about it. I, I do what makes me feel good. It's like I can't I can't guarantee that the outcome is ever going to make anybody else happier, but I'm not going to do it if it's going to make me unhappy. So I do what makes me happy. And for me, that's when I see somebody. And like I told you, if I see somebody walking along the street that looked downcast, you know, hands jammed in their pockets and they look like the world is upon them, I'm not okay to just drive on past them. I am not. And I don't. I find a way to engage. And and I've gotten creative over the years on how to do that. So, you know, when I when I see anyone, whether they be well dressed or raggedy dressed or very clean or very nasty or whatever, they're still human. And I take time to say, Hey, hi, good to see you. And I've had the homeless people say what's good about it. It's like that you're walking, that you're healthy, that you're doing whatever you can do. Well, that's for sure, you know. And then sometimes they're gruff about it. If I see that I'm an irritant to them, I move on. But I'm not going to ignore them. And if they aren't comfortable with that right away, they'll have to get over it because I'll just move on. If they seem to want to have that conversation and want to talk to somebody, I stay around as long as I can. And, you know, to the homeless vets are a big thing to me. I am not okay with that. And I don't know how to make myself ever feel okay about that or if I even want to. I, I do everything I can. And a lot of those vets don't really want you getting in the way. But I do anyway. It's like I'm not okay that you've gone and you've risked your life to help me make sure that I'm safe. And you're sitting here hurting. You're sitting here alone. You're sitting here thinking you don't know what it was all about anymore. And if that isn't their case, then maybe it's just that they're going through battle fatigue and still out there thinking they're in the war. So I'm not okay with that. And when I see those who give the aura and the emanations of being a vet, I turn my car around. I have never drove past any one of them, and I never will. I turn my car around, or I get out, pull over someplace and go back, you know. And if I'm anywhere where I can, I'll go get food. And I share food with them. I don't just give them food. You know, I'll actually buy, even if I don't like the hamburgers or whatever, I'll get two and sit there and eat that to make sure that I'm eating with them. And sometimes if it's just real hot, just getting a great big old lemonade from someplace and sitting down. And sometimes, you know, 
there are times, and I would say quite a few times, to where there's not just one. And it's it. I learned so much. I learned so much. You know, you hear the stories, and you have to understand there are some very highly educated people out there. And especially when you're talking to vets, you know, these guys have had a, a pretty strict history. Some of them, their families dissipated because they were gone too long, you know. Some of them dissipated because of whatever the whatever. It's just, you know, whatever we are as human, you know, and it just happens. And they go through whatever their sense of that is, and I listen to that. And, uh, you know, I really like it because what I find is kind of common with the vets. They'll look at me after they've, you know, unwound their story, if they unwind their story, and they'll say, so what do you think of that? They all end it like that. So what do you think of that? And I've come to ask myself, so what do you think of that? And I tell them when I hear your story, I think that there have been wonderful, wonderful, powerful times where you've been totally surrounded by love and that you're giving love. And I think you're on some kind of inward journey right now. And I don't know where to, what to say about that or where to go with that. I just know that I'm very grateful that we have right now this moment and that I connected. And know now I will always remember you, and I hope you'll always remember me. And I, I, I feel you care. I know there was a time you gave your life caring about mine. Just remember that. I care. And when I leave, I watch them watching me leave. They wave, you know. Sometimes because of the local guys, I see them again and again and again, come to know them by name and everything. You know, I'll walk across the parking lot if I have to, if they're at the other end of the parking lot, to make sure they know that I saw them and said hello. You you have to determine how it is you want to be included and live that. It's about, it's, it's even like when, you know, I've discussed it with a few of my friends. They're all trying to find out who wants what and buy what people want for Christmas and the Hanukkah gifts and stuff. It's like, I really don't care what they want. I, I care about what makes me feel good, you know. I care about giving them something I like and something I want to give them, you know. And it may be totally, you know, unconsequential to them, and I don't care. You know, they can give it to somebody else afterwards. I just want to have the fun and buying it and fixing it up and have my story around it. You know, I have something I want them. I want it to say something, and I can't say something about what they want, you know. Now, if, if what they want is something I can help them with and I can still play my game, fine. You know, but if, if it's going to cost me the, the whole benefit of why I would want to give it and give it, not just to go spend money, then I'm going to make sure I have fun with it. And other people I'm finding are doing that, you know. I, I just find other people saying, well, I, I don't really know what people want. I just know that this is what I gave. They tell them I do the same thing. I give things that are meaningful to me, and and uh, when when I give it, I'm passing to them the importance I made of it, and how I held them in mind, and that's the importance that I made of it, and it works. It just works beautiful. So sometimes with people who are not happy at this time, I just do that. You know, it's a matter of not getting yourself dragged down by getting in that kind of mood with them, but at the same time, neither letting them be alone in it, you know? And and I've learned that when else I don't know what to do, beloveds, I just make music. You know, I'll start to sing. You know, I, I'll put music on. 
you, I could tell you if I had a hundred dollars for every time I've been in a parking lot and turned my radio up full blast and opened up my doors and just started to dance. You know, just get out and start dancing and attract people and people get out of their cars and come over and join me and stuff and make friends that way. That all started a good 20 years ago, actually. Uh, it was a, a kind of an initiation thing with a group of ladies that I joined as a club. And they had said that I have to do something outrageous and totally uncharacteristic of myself. Well, I don't know if I played that completely to the truth, okay, because this this is not necessarily uncharacteristic of me, but I did it, and I realized, okay, and I had I had to do this something before sundown, okay, and we were in, I remember being in North Carolina, and we were getting stuff together to actually go into the mountains for camping and stuff like that, and I realized that there were, I had run into some people doing the same thing that were going to the same particular program, and there was like seven or eight of them, okay, and I realized, okay, I can just make music and we can get out and start dancing and singing. And that's what we did. I just, you know, got in, turned my radio on, and it happened to be playing one of those, uh, oh, I forget what the, the movie was, but it, it was one of those things that makes everybody dance, you know. And it, they were up dancing and everything. So I just blasted that and got out and started dancing around and everything, you know. And strangely enough, it was not the people I knew that come and join me first. It was the people who were parked around me and thought it so much fun and saw me having so much fun. They just jumped in, you know, and then, then my friends come jumping in, you know what I mean? But that, that gave me such satisfaction. Gave me such satisfaction that then after that, whenever I would be in my head with something and I'd feel myself growling and being all, little, 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 you know, I would simply just turn the music up and start dancing in my car, you know, dancing around in my car. And if it was somewhere else, I'd, if I was in the parking, I'd throw the door open and just keep dancing. You know what I mean? And, and three, four, you know, five. I've had as many as 30 people join me. I've had as little as three people join me. It didn't matter, you know. It's, if when I got through, I felt fantastic. So you have to find your own story. You have to find your own rhythm and your own rhyme of things. I am totally aware that there are people who think I'm strange. And I'm okay with that. I am totally aware that there's people who say, wow, she can get weird. Yeah, I can. Okay. And I know that there are people who say, you know, she helped me turn a corner. And I say, yeah. And it was good. And I say to you, this is a season that wherever you're at, it's time to turn a corner. And know that we're looking at another season coming at us. And what is it you want from that season? You know, what is it that you can give to that season? Make it work for you and make it as happy and joyful as you can be. Give of yourself. The gift is you. And find out where you fit into the greater picture of that. I love you immensely. I really mean that. You think maybe because I don't know your face and I don't know this and that. No, I feel you. I know that some of you have asked and called out for healing. I know that some of you are saying, you know, it would be wonderful if we could meet. We will. We will. Somewhere along the line. I don't know if Jules will pull together another program or something, but somewhere along the line, because we are like-minded spirits, we'll find each other. But meanwhile, that isn't the important thing. The important thing is right now, we are collectively in this time together.
and in that I send to you all wonderful and gorgeous and beautiful things. In that I can say with all my heart, I love you. We are humanity. We are one. Allow that to be the way we live. Reach out. Touch someone. Meet somebody new every day. Make every day an occasion. Meanwhile, have a wonderful coming up week. And I will probably be talking to you after the holidays of Christmas. So make sure you enjoy yourself and that you know that the gifting is you. And put the money into a good dinner. Bring everybody together and sing some songs. Okay? Love you very much. Take care. All good things. This is Parisha. And this is Windows in Your Mind. And we are complete. Well, okay, it's that time of being complete again and going forward to assimilate and use what we've shared and learned. It's with love of humanity that I serve. And it's always good when you're with me. I value you in your time. So I say to you, Olama Liaha, we are family. Walk in beauty upon the great Mother Earth and be the blessing that you are. I send you my hugs and kisses on the breeze and in the sun. Beloveds, I am always with you. Have a wonder-filled week and celebrate all good things. For those of you who want to keep in touch through Facebook, remember that it's www.facebook.com C-O-M slash forward and it's V-E-N period P-A period R-I-S period H-A and make sure that you share what you want to say and share your stuff and I look so forward to that. So until then, know we are blessed. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Grandmother Parisha on your journey to the windows in your mind. For further information or to contact Grandmother, please visit parishas-world.com. P-A-R-I-S-H-A-S-world.com. The incredible, magnificent Law of Attraction Cruise of a Lifetime is taking place on March 6th through 10th. 2016, featuring New York Times best-selling Law of Attraction author Pam Grout and featuring Michael Perlman, MD of Law of Attraction Journaling and best-selling and award-winning wealth author Richard Harper, along with our own beautiful and dynamic speaker Constance Arnold, will be on board as well. Don't forget Gary Temple Bodley, who channels Joshua, will be on board, and you will be able to have direct interactions with Joshua. And then there's the Champagne Living Dream Coach, Cassie Parks, as well as me, Jules Johnson. This is a powerful cruise, and it's happening during the week of the total solar eclipse in Pisces, which is ruler of the water, which means that which you shine a light on will shift almost effortlessly. So what are you waiting for? This is your chance to finally change your life in profound ways. Go to LOARadioNetwork.com and sign up today. There's still cabins available, but the rates will increase weekly. Need a cabin mate? No worries. We have like-minded individuals for you to room with. Take this time and invest in yourself. You will be so happy you did. Go to LOA 
radionetwork.com. See you on board. Is my 
Just another 